with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. I am your host, Scott J. Allen, and this is Phrenesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. Now, I am a professor of management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. In addition, I'm a husband and father of three teens. Now, this is a family endeavor. Will played the intro, Kate voiced the intro, and who knows, you may hear from Emily a little later. I'm also an author, entrepreneur, speaker, and co-founder of the Collegiate Leadership Competition. I love to travel, explore new places with family, and learn from others. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion about all things leadership and followership, if we're honest. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. I am proud to share a few updates. According to Listen Notes, Phronesis is listed as among the top 3% of podcasts in the world because of you. So thank you. In addition, the podcast has two sponsors. First, Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ila-net.org. My second sponsor is the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. At Bowler, we offer several advanced degrees and MBAs, and I'm confident that there's one that will fit your location, interests, and timeline. In fact, our online MBA is ranked as the number one in Ohio and number nine in the United States. We offer international study tours, a contemporary and forward-looking curriculum, and access to senior leaders and flagship organizations. Learn more at business.jcu.edu. You can find links to both sponsors in the show notes. Now, if you like what we're up to, please hit subscribe so you can stay current as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others, friends, colleagues, leaders, teams, students, and others you think will benefit. And now, today's show. Okay, everyone, welcome to the Phrenesis Podcast. Wherever you are in the world, thanks for checking in. Today, I have Todd Deal. Todd Deal is an educator. Teaching and learning are passions for him. Todd earned his PhD in chemistry from Ohio State University, the Ohio State University, and launched into his professional career as a chemistry professor. Some 28 years later, he retired from university life to accept his current role as senior faculty and director of the higher ed practice at the Center for Creative Leadership. In between those landmarks, he served as associate dean, earned tenure, and was promoted to full professor, authored a chemistry textbook, now in its fourth edition, was the founding director of the Leadership, Community Engagement, and Service Learning Program at Georgia Southern University, where he taught leadership courses for 10 plus years. He earned a graduate certificate in leadership from Northeastern University, completed the Art and Practice of Leadership Development with Ron Heifetz and Marty Linsky at Harvard University, and twice served as faculty for ILA's Leadership Education Academy. Todd and his wife of 27 years, Karen, live in Hilton Head, South Carolina, and are the parents of two brilliant, beautiful, talented, young adult daughters. Todd, you know, the art and practice of leadership development, I said this to Ron Heifetz when I had him on, that was one of the most powerful learning experiences I've ever had, right? That moment with that, that whole week, and then that centerpiece with Bob Keegan coming in and doing immunity to change. Wow. Right. Such a powerful learning experience. Power. I talk about that as being a shaping learning experience for me. 
people yeah. ask me, I remember right when I came back from Harvard and I was at Georgia Southern at the time, they said, how was it? I said, I have never been so completely deconstructed and reconstructed <laughs> in such a short time. Uh, it was draining emotionally, physically. The whole piece of going through it was just fantastic. I use every single piece of the experientials we did, the content we learned. I still use it in my practice. It's so wonderful. It's it's powerful. such a very such a great way of thinking about leadership. And and I just again, whether it's the work of Bob Keegan or the work of of Ron Heifetz, Barbara Kellerman, kind of that that crew at yeah. at Harvard that have really been working at some of this for years. I just am so appreciative of it. I'm going to start with chemistry. Connect <laughs> oh boy, chemistry with leadership for me. Connect chemistry with leadership for me. I want to get into that mind a little bit because oh. I think it's awesome that transition. Can you make connections between chemistry and leadership? Oh, you absolutely can. And I do many, many times in the classroom. You know, when my undergraduate students or now the adults that I work with, I'll mention that I'm a chemist and I always get the, oh, gee, <laughs> I hated chemistry in high school, or, you know, and that. <laughs> And then during sessions, I'll pull out, you know, how difficult something might be or how easy it is. And I say, you know, the activation energy to get from here to there. And then, you know, kind of the, that's a chemistry concept. Yes. <laughs> Bring it in with them. So, yeah, that was, it was an interesting journey because, you know, at the time I was teaching chemistry and working on our textbook when the vice president tapped me on the shoulder and said, we would really love to start. A leadership program. And about 10 years before I had served as associate dean and really got into, interestingly, the CCL literature. I yeah. was doing a lot of reading at the time. My dean was a fan. So read a lot about leadership, was doing faculty leadership development at the time, just on a professional development, we called it, of course, at the time. Yeah. That was just so interesting to me. I, yes. And so when she tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, would you be interested in doing this for me to develop it for students to attract high ability students who need something more outside of the classroom? Absolutely. Telling her, though, you know, as you mentioned in my bio, teaching is my passion. I'm not going to step in and become an administrator. I must continue to teach to for my professional <laughs> fulfillment. It's who I am. And so we developed four credit courses that we taught out of student affairs, which is kind of a different model for most of us. And we developed a co-curricular program. So all of that to say curriculum design played into it, which was really a passion for me. But as I progressed along, I asked the same question, how does a chemist become teaching leadership? How, how do you do this? Yeah. Interestingly enough, Ron and Marty helped make the connection for me in, really? in one way. And then several colleagues and I have talked about it over the years. So what Ron and Marty talk about in their book, Observation, Interpretation, Experimentation for Leadership. Yeah. You know, get in on the balcony, you make the observation, interpret the behavior, get back on the dance floor and do the experiment. Not that we're experimenting on people, but you're practicing leadership. Yeah. What do I need to do? And when we learned that, I thought, that's the scientific method. It's kind of boiled down nicely, but that's a scientific <laughs> method is what you're doing. So it was just fascinating to me. And somebody then made a comment to me. This was, well, I don't know, five, seven years ago. They said, you know, 
it's really strange that a scientist steps into a social science field. And I, it is, it's a different sort of research that we do when you're a scientist first, and I'm not a social science researcher. And they said, so you went from making observations of molecules to making observations of people. Hmm. And I said, yeah, and the molecules behave so much better than the people. <laughs> <laughs> They're regular. They, you can predict what's going to happen. The people you never know. So, <laughs> Just add humans. Boom. <laughs> right? Yes, and it blows up. <laughs> well, I love it. I absolutely love it. Talk a little bit about your practice at CCL. And what I'd love to kind of move our conversation into is you know, just some contemporary thoughts that are on your mind right now is what I love about CCL. And we talked a little bit about this before we got on, on air today. People like Ellen Van Velser, Cindy McCauley, those individuals had such a strong impact on my growth and development on how I think about whether it was the handbook of leadership development, the, the practice of developing leaders. So I've always very, very much respected not only CCL's rigor, on the academic side, but then also CCL's practice. The organization has been in those two spaces for decades, trying to hone this craft. Talk a little bit about your role and what you've been thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned Cindy and of course, having read her work for years before coming to CCL, walking in the building, one day I see this woman walking down the hall and I was with a colleague and I said, who is that? Oh, that's Cindy McCauley. And I was, you know, the starstruck kind of fanboys. <laughs> like, oh, that's Cindy, the Cindy McCauley. And she's the kindest, most gentle individual in the world. But Scott, it went over the moon for me when right before Cindy retired, she was doing an update um, on our direction alignment commitment model um, yes. from the center. And she shows up in my office door one day and said, I would really like you to uh, to interview you and for you to contribute to my next research piece that I'm doing. And I'm like, seriously, Cindy wants me? Nice. Certainly not. Certainly not. So <laughs> I did. I got to contribute to that last piece. Oh, um, that's awesome. Was that the that, LQ article? I know she did an LQ article in recent times. Very recently. Was... Yep. Okay, that's the one. Good. I think she oh, and Chuck Hollis awesome. together. Yeah. Yep. So that was one of those kind of career moments that you're like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but you hit the nail on the head of the theoretical basis, the research background of leadership and the practice, kind of what we do at CCL. And stepping into this practice, leading the higher ed practice at the center has been that in spades for me. Wow. Because you've studied, you're a faculty member. I'm a faculty member. We both spent our career there. And when I step into the space with adults in higher ed to do development, first of all, if you don't have the credentials, if you don't understand higher ed, then you have no credibility. And second of all, they're going to tear the research to pieces. <laughs> they want to know all the background, all the theory, and how does this apply? How am I going to use yes. this every single day? Yes. Learning to do that dynamically in the classroom has been so developmental for me because hmm. um, you could show up and, you know, when we went to Zoom, what, two years ago now, I can sit here and talk to you for uh, four hours on Zoom 
and the end of program evaluations are going to be terrible. Oh, that was <laughs> awful. It was just a lecture. When you figure out how to engage people, get them active and start to do things in the classroom. And a lot of these are learning journeys where we're going with a group over a period of a year or something. Yeah. Building in experiential practice for them to do between sessions hmm. and learning to do that effectively. You know, part of that is uh, one of the hallmark pieces of research that CCL did the lessons of experience. Yes. Um, yes. I know you've heard of that. And oh yeah, people talk a lot about the 70, 20, 10 principle. Cindy and I talked about it. we're neither of us are huge fans of those numbers. <laughs> the you numbers mean it's are not exactly 70, 20, 10 every time. No. Yeah. <laughs> not at all. Not you're, at all. You're blowing my mind here. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much more to that research. And when you read all of the pieces that happened and quite frankly, the critiques that came afterwards, it's fascinating. Wow. Absolutely fascinating. But that leadership development happens in the practice. Yep. We can give you that ex background, give you the knowledge to work from, but then what is it? Erickson who talks about deliberate practice. Oh yeah. Love his work. Peak. Yep. Yeah. Keeping that mindset of, okay, here's what I learned now. How does this play out in my world? Really not well, or what pieces can I take and how do I use that? So fascinating. And so trying to design experiences for learners that help them step into what it is they do every day. You know, we're working with right now a group of deans. How do I think about when I was an associate dean, what did I need to know? And now yes. how do I take CCL research and apply it to what they need to know to help them grow as leaders? It is so much fun. So yes. much fun. Well, exactly. Because you take take a group of deans or associate deans and it's similar to the situation you were in, right? I'm yeah. potentially a, a former supply chain professor now leading the organization and it's completely different work Oh yes. and how we prepare those individuals to be success when engaging in the activity of leading others, especially in that context of higher ed. That's a, it's an interesting context. It's a unique context of a lot of lone wolves running around and you know, <laughs> I mean, getting everyone on the same page and focused on the same direction. It, it, it's challenging, right? It, um, very challenging. So helping them approach the work with some more intentionality and, and yes, I love, I love the work of Erickson. I think it, it, it had just an incredible amount of impact on how I think about what we try and do, the whole notion of deliberate practice. Yeah. Like everything else, it's it's a lens. I don't know that it's a silver bullet, but it's definitely work that really, really helped me formulate how I kind of think about this because I couldn't agree with you more. You're not going to get very far sitting in a room talking about it. It's right. a part of it but it's not the whole experience. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. You mentioned, you know, let's own the fact that we're faculty. Yeah. And in the practice that I'm a part of now, that's the most difficult group to work with. Really? Um, and I've seen articles about this in, in higher ed, inside higher ed, as well as the Chronicle. The faculty are resistant to leadership education or to leadership development. Oftentimes, I mean, it's how we're trained, right? This individual expert mindset. And I'll figure it out as I go. I'm a learner. 
and faculty are very tend to be. I don't want to you know paint everybody and be a stereotype, but faculty tend to be the most resistant. Hmm. It's the deans, the department chairs who rec- get into the space and recognize they don't know what they don't know. <laughs> yes. They're like, oh, wait, come on, let's talk about this. Help me. How do I how do I deal with the problems? So <laughs> they're in a practice field at this point, And that's yes. real. <laughs> yes, it is very real. <laughs> One of my professors, when I was an undergrad who was still there when I came back to the institution, and I mentioned to him, hey, look, this is what's happening. I'm about to start this leadership program. He looked at me, he said, you can't teach leadership. You just put put somebody in the role and let them figure it out as they go. Yep. And that was like, oh, boy, <laughs> that's the, yes. the school of experience. It's a great experience. But with no that 10 percent of the 70, 20, 10, no foundation, no background knowledge in trouble. You're floundering. You're absolutely well, again. Just take that to any other domain. Take that to any other domain. Sure. Let's say cooking. Yeah, you can. I can have a lot of experiences, but if I have no knowledge, it's going to take me longer. I'm going to build bad habits. I mean, there's just a lot of I'm going to kill culture, <laughs> burn the grilled cheese, whatever it is. Exactly. There's going to be a lot of learning on the fly. And, and even then I might not get as far as I could as quick as I could. Well, in, in this higher ed practice, and as you're working with some of these associate deans or deans, what are you seeing? What are some some ripe issues kind of on their plate right now that really is resonating with them. I imagine just the last two years of COVID that has introduced so much complexity to the system and to the work. What do you see? Yeah. Even with, you know, we do quite a bit of, I might call it organizational leadership type work. It's, we're not a a consulting firm, you know, CCL very much is a leadership education, leadership development. But over the past year and a half, we've gotten lots of calls from president's cabinets to come and work with a president's cabinet or a chancellor's cabinet. And the things they're dealing with are the things that we're seeing in higher ed. Faculty, staff, administrators who are like, look, I worked from home for a year. I did great. Why do I have to come back? Yeah. Why do I have to be co-located with this? And the provosts are saying, I'm going to have to issue a mandate. And I'm like, oh, we might want to think about that together (laughs) and how we lead people into this space. So that literal question has popped up time and time and time again, remote work versus co-located. The idea of a university being a residential space. Oh, it's just been. And there's, of course, no single answer. No. Depends on the institution. Yeah. Which I think, (laughs) as I mentioned earlier, the human beings you put them in a situation, they don't always act the same like the chemicals do. <laughs> <laughs> There's reactions. There Just, are definitely well, reactions. <laughs> well, I, I think I, I always, where I don't know where, I think it's Kansas Leadership Center. Yes, my friend Ed O'Malley at KLC. Mm. I don't know if you've ever explored that organization, but they're doing yes. some really cool things. And they they were very closely aligned with the work of Heifetz and Linsky. And you know they call it intervening skillfully. And they call it act experimentally. And I, I think similar, if we go back to chemistry, you have to intervene skillfully. You can't put this with this. It's going to blow up. Right. <laughs> and I think that's another metaphor, at least, that I think about as I think about the work of intervening skillfully with people and with systems and culture. Like you said just now, uh, you could set a mandate, but that might blow up. 
Let's hey, think about hey. other options of experiments we could run. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. One of the fun stories that I tell when I came, I'd probably been at the center maybe a year. And whenever, so one of our, what we call our open enrollment program, so that anybody can sign up, come to the yep. center. And a lot of those, of course, are corporate kinds of folks. And sort of the keystone program that the center's run for oh, many, many, many years is typically leading leaders, leading managers. We'll have not necessarily CEOs, but mid-managers kinds of yep. things. But whenever a program is running and there is an academic in there, a higher ed person, they call me down to meet that higher ed person just to, you know, have a conversation. Yep. So I walked up into the break area and I knew I had been introduced to the, it was a dean and was having, the dean was having a conversation and I just kind of walked up to listen in a minute and say hello and was talking to a corporate type. And the part of the conversation I walked in, they were obviously talking about a faculty issue we're having and the corporate person looked at the dean and said, why in the world don't you just tell them what they must do? And I sort of laughed out loud and the dean looked at me and he said, he knows why I don't, <laughs> because that's exactly what will not happen. It'll blow up. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating context. Well, what else are you seeing in your work with just even this higher ed space, either things that you're experimenting with or you're working on or just observations about the higher ed landscape and leadership right now? The thing that bubbled up for us pretty prominently as the, the pandemic, we'd been doing some work in the area for years, but it really just took off two areas. Let me talk about uh, resilience. Okay. And Same talking more. to people about resilience. Okay. So okay. we have a couple of faculty who are very much into the research on resilience and resilience, once again, brain chemistry and all that's involved there is fascinating. But how applicable is it? How do I do this? And so developing that practice and have put together and used in multiple higher ed institutions around the country, um, using the research that our faculty have done about developing resilience. Sean Aker at Harvard said the following, resilience is about how you recharge, not how you endure. Wow. It's a fascinating thought because when we think of resilience, we get to grit, which is absolutely a part of it. Yep. Endurance, just getting it, getting through it, head down, working through it. And what he's pointing to and our research has shown, it's less about the grit and getting through it. That's a component, but it's taking that recharge time. What is it that you're doing to fill your bucket back up so that you show up at your as your very, very best? person leader in the space yeah the mental the social the spiritual all the different pieces of who you are and how do you intentionally build in time to recharge yeah. and that message has been one of those kind of light bulbs for a lot of people because i think you know it's our work ethic we're head down going as hard as we can yes. trying to make it through this pandemic when really what we need to do sometimes is step back, pause, take a vacation, take a day off, go on a bike ride. That's yes. my thing. <laughs> and recharge ourselves. It's amazing. And I don't know why this is, Todd, but when I'm on the treadmill and I'm just kind of running along, I'm watching some music video on, on the, not like an 80s MTV music video, but some <laughs> kind of concerts on, from YouTube or something. And I'm running along 
And it's I've I've had to put a piece of paper next to the treadmill with a pen because sometimes I will get off that treadmill and I will have six ideas just on different parts of my lives that I've written down. I can't always read them. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, yeah. what were ideas three and four here? This is terrible writing, Scott. But I mean, even in the space of going on a walk with my wife or doing doing a workout or stepping back, taking a day or two, but to your point, designing in kind of those inactive strategies to actually build up our ability to navigate the stressors coming at us. It's a fascinating topic. And there's times in my lives where I've just kind of ground myself into empty and and I've not done that. And that's when my wife will say, hey, you know what? This is not working for you. You got to shift this, right? So I love that. If you're a um, an Instagram fan, I love the, I follow, a, it's called Liz and Molly. And they have these great little cartoon graphics, uh, you know, the kind of what I thought would make me successful. And the pie graph is 99% hard work and 1% sleep. And what really makes me successful is, you know, 35, 40% hard work, rest, intentional development, et cetera, et cetera. I love, love, love their little graphics. It's fascinating. Awesome. Okay. So resilience is one. Yep. And then you'd mention a second. Yeah. The other for us that came up and we, again, we'd been working on this for years is as a global institution, because you know, CCL works around the world, thinking about how we deliver leadership development around the world and the different time zones and do that without everybody having to travel and what that looks like. So digital. Doing the digital piece and learning to design. Some of us in higher ed, I mean, higher ed in general has an advantage there. We've been trying to get this right for years. Yeah. So it was really fun being a part of that project and stepping in, bringing my higher ed background and say, look, here's the things we've done with students to help that be. And I brought experientials that we've done online and we are as CCL learning as we go, but we jumped into that space very quickly, designing leadership development for the digital space. Now, now, Scott, let me pause and say, frankly, I hope we're not always in the digital space. Yeah, yeah. Because the magic is that face-to-face, right? The human interaction and the touch that we have there. But when we can do it in the digital space, I can work, thinking of a group we're working with right now, a membership organization that they're located all over across the United States, institutions all over. And we're meeting with them on a Friday afternoon at one o'clock and everybody can be there. Whereas, you know, if you're at a less well-funded, shall I say, institution, you can't travel. And so that opportunity is no longer available to you. Yeah. So in that way, I love the digital idea. It's hard being on Zoom all the time. Sure. So a mixture of that to me is better, but it's been fascinating to be a part of trying to figure out the digital part and designing appropriate experiences for digital learning. Isn't it? I, I've actually really been in an odd way. Of course, this could be misconstrued, so I don't, I don't intend it to be. But I have found the last two years very intriguing from a mm-hmm. educational standpoint. Yes. Can we figure out this online space, how to really make the, the learning online powerful, impactful, 
What do we do? How do we design? Because I believe in large part, similar to when we're live, but it's a design challenge that if we're designing the learning experiences in a certain way, I think there's a number of advantages. Yesterday, Todd, right now I'm doing the subject object interview training for it, you know the work of Robert Keegan this is the this is the interview technique they use to determine someone's mental complexity oh, so wow. i'm doing this training from 6am to 9am every wednesday and i think it's 6 weeks all of us are from all over the world we're zooming in yep and deb helsing has just created a wonderful you'd think oh 3 hours this is going to be forever no She's designed this in a way that really, really has been, it moves by quickly. It's impactful. I've really enjoyed connecting with these people from all over the world. And now, do I want that to be every learning experience I have for the rest of my life? No. But to your point, sometimes I think it's perfectly appropriate or it's appropriate as a part of some larger program. Yeah. Right. So I think what it's done for me, at least the last couple of years it's helped me better understand the space, but then it's also kind of armed me with new tools where I could say, hey, we're not going to be in the classroom next week. We're going to be online. We're going to Zoom this person from Tesla in. They're going to talk. <laughs> You'll forget you're online very quickly when we start <laughs> talking about what we're going to discuss, and it's going to be a good experience. And kind of blending, right? Blending in podcasts or blending in different elements to create a new experience, a new learning experience. And I'm seeing some organizations rush back to everything how it used to be. And I think that too can be a little limiting because there's new options. Mm -hmm. And how do we capitalize on those new options, right? Yeah, it's a new way to think about it. And you said it's got the, forgot I was online. That's one of the greatest comments I've gotten from a participant (laughs) in the end of program. I forgot I was online. I'm like, that's what we're after. The new new benchmark, right? That's how you know you're winning, right? (laughs) (laughs) That the time flies by, just like when you're sitting in a lecture with a great professor and it's like, whoa, it's over already. I want to keep going. Yes. That sort of experience that you're trying to learn to replicate that piece for sure. Well, and even in your work, you know, I think... To, to the point you made when we started the conversation, we have these learning experiences, and then can we use those as a foundation for people then to practice in their yes. own organizations? Is there some action learning? Are there some projects that are where, where I can be a little more intentional of how I'm intervening? Am I intervening skillfully? Am I, am I deliberate in how I'm approaching the work or the activity of leadership? Again, it's another example of how we can get creative to create these powerful experiences. And to do so in a way that contributes to what someone is doing and is not a side project. Totally. Our undergraduates fuss at us all the time, right? About (laughs) group projects. So when you're in a cohort and you give them a group project that's not related to what they're doing, they're busy people. We're all busy people. So they don't have time to fully engage. But if that project is something they're already working on for their institution, their department in their own research and talking about leading students, it's so much more powerful. If it aligns with the flow of where they're headed anyways. Yes. I could not agree more. And I think that's fundamentally, that's where a lot of the lessons from experience work shifted 
my thinking on that, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think, again, there's a time and a place for us to go offline and go to Harvard for eight days or whatever that was and, and have a learning experience. Yes. And there's a time for developing in place with the flow of the organization that can be just as powerful in a different way, right? Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Todd, as we kind of begin to wind down our conversation, what have you been listening to? What have you been reading? What have you, what's caught your eye in the last couple of months? And it could have to do with leadership. Maybe it's just some new advancements in chemistry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the things that, um, Scott, I love about Phronesis is that you have your daughter at the front and your daughter at the back doing the intro and the outro. Um, Because likewise, I have two daughters as well. And one of our favorite activities has always been reading things together. Nice. And we, we have this kind of history of, and I have a picture of when they were little, little girls of us sitting on the couch and me reading a book, one hanging on my shoulder, one laying on my lap, oh. reading a book together. And I'd love to say that we continued that practice perfectly over the years. We haven't, but we do quite a bit and still read things together. So my older daughter and I, gosh, it's been a couple of years back, did a study together of C.S. Lewis's um, The Screwtape Letters. Oh, wow. And so for Christmas this year, I gave her a boxed set of C.S. Lewis kind of readings that now we're talking about and reading those. Timeless readings, you know, they're faith-based, of course, thinking about that together. And then my younger daughter, our younger daughter, is a first-year med student. Okay. And... First year of medical school is memorization fest, right? (laughs) And I had heard of several years ago, Joshua Four's book, Moonwalking with Einstein. I don't know it. If you've never read Moon, it's fascinating. Okay. Okay. He pulls um, Erickson's work in there. I remember Erickson being and talked about deliberate practice and how we develop our minds. This is so focused on how we should do leadership development. Nice. And so she and I were reading that one together and she's actually using it. The practice that she learned is called Memory Palace. And some of the readers will be familiar with Memory Palace in med school. And she said, Dad, it like accelerated. I can remember things. I've done so much better on tests. And <laughs> so it's just fun to read with them and have those conversations. Yeah. I guess it's the old professor dad coming out in that. <laughs> it is. It is. And it's so much fun to my daughter. What Emily, who who does the outro, which this was a, a March. 2020 kind of COVID project. We were all in the house looking at each other. And I said, you want to make an intro and an outro? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) And we just kind of went, went for it and I've just kept it. But, you know, yesterday my daughter came home from school. She had started, she loves comedy. I mean, it's so fun to watch your children. And at least my wife and I have really kind of viewed a large part of our job is to just expose them to a number of different things and see what sticks, see where their passion, where their natural energy is. And Emily just loves comedy, anything having to do with comedy. She will wake up on Sunday morning because we usually aren't up late enough, but she will start putting on Saturday night live and look at, and the, the sense of humor and her, she's just really blossoming. But she had this, she had this idea. She goes to Chagrin Falls Intermediate Schools. So she started a comedy troupe called Much to My Chagrin. 
<laughs> and they had their first meeting yesterday. Right. And I said to her this morning at breakfast, I said, look, you know, you, you were a leader. You were a leader. You had, you had a yeah. vision of what you wanted to create and it was in your mind. And you told some people about it and you got 10 classmates, boys and girls to a room after school yesterday. And it was funny because both of my daughters were in this and she said, yeah, my mouth hurts because we were laughing so hard. And I said, that's, that's leadership, right? So exploring with your daughters like that and reading with them like that, C.S. Lewis, it makes me, I mean, one of my daughters was, was just uh, in Prince Caspian. Oh yes. And so, yes. you know, the, that whole Chronicles of Narnia series, which is awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. A lot of fun. So moonwalking with Einstein. Yeah. Okay. Fascinating read. It's not new. It was a New York Times bestseller. I'm going to say 2012, 2013. Okay. A really good read. Very good. Read. Anything else? Streaming, listening to? Spend a lot of time listening to a podcast you may have heard of, Phronesis. Um, <laughs> <laughs> love the conversation that you had with Heifetz. That was oh. fantastic. Dave Rush, I always like to listen to Dave Rush and what yeah. he's thinking about and how. So that and you know, looking at leadership design, how different people are doing leadership and figuring out ways to make this applicable for people as they're practicing leadership. Yes. How to do that on a daily basis instead of this theory that you then got to figure out. Yep. Yeah. Well, we, we share that passion. We share that passion Indeed. for sure. So much. Fun. Uh, how do we, how do we help better prepare to be successful in a number of these gnarly roles that they find themselves in? And if we can be a small part of preparing them to intervene skillfully more often. <laughs> yes. You know, I'm in. <laughs> we can figure out the chemistry of leadership. <laughs> Speaking of Dave Rush, I sent him, sometimes I think he, I think he thinks I'm a little cuckoo, but I sent him this, I'll put it in the show notes. I spent, sent him a video. And it's, oh my gosh, his name is going to escape me. I got to think of it. Sean Carroll at Caltech. And Sean Carroll has a theory called the many worlds hypothesis. Mm. And essentially you get into some really, really funky physics and mathematics, but I sent him this video, which basically kind of comes down to the whole universe is one wave function. And so wow. I just said, leadership is a wave. <laughs> you know, that's all it is, just a wave. I think he's getting these videos from me going, what is this guy doing? <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> if we can solve that wave equation, yes, now we've got it. <laughs> uh, well, sir, so good to speak with you. Thank you so much for stopping by today. Scott, thank uh, you for the opportunity. This has been a joy. I appreciate it. Yes. And thanks for the good work that you do at CCL. Uh, so appreciative uh, for the decades of work that CCL has brought to the table and uh, you're continuing on with that legacy. I love it. Yep. Thank you much. It's been a, been a joy. Okay. Be well, Good sir. to talk to you. All right. Bye-bye. What a fun conversation with Todd. Again, said it before. Love the fact that we have someone from a different discipline bringing that perspective to this space to this educational opportunity. And he continued to use a word throughout our conversation, which is one of my favorite words, which is design. When we design, there's forethought. When we design, there's intentionality. And I think as we design 
interventions to help improve an individual's ability to lead and team with others, it requires design. And so anytime I can be in that dialogue, I'm fired up, I'm excited. Because again, design requires intentionality. It's experimentation, but thoughtful experimentation to see if we can move the needle and get somewhere new. So Todd, thank you so much for joining me for a wonderful conversation. Thanks for the good work that you do, that CCL does. Take care, everybody. Thanks, as always, for checking in and listening. It's so much appreciated. If you enjoy it, share it with others, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. You have just finished another episode of Practical Wisdom for Leaders with Scott Allen. To contact me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and LinkedIn, so let's connect. Now, if you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. One final nod to our sponsors, the International Leadership Association and the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.